Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So on this episode of the podcast, I interviewed Joshua Sprigg. Joshua is the CEO and founder of a company called Enfern Medical who specialise in medical recruitment. Joshua shared his approach on how he is building his business. What's I really, really appreciate Joshua talking to us about, I asked him what his entrepreneurial issue is, what really drives him and he talked about his family life he talked about his family life with his dad which now impacts his relationship with his own son we talk about life as a single dad had a really good discussion around bringing high level people into the business whether that should be interim or permanent and what does that mean for his team. So that was a really interesting discussion. All of it was interesting. I kind of had to say, look, we should stop talking now because we've both got day jobs to, to go to. Absolutely loved it. And I know you guys will too. And I will see you in the next episode. Hi, Joshua. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How How is life at the moment? Good, Tara. So far, so good. It's, um, it's yeah, it's one of those interesting questions, I think, this time of year. Yeah, you said, so one of the things I want to acknowledge, and lots of guests feel this, they feel quite nervous coming on to the podcast. And I think when people listen, I think people underestimate it can be quite nervous. And I was just saying, I don't do very many podcast interviews because it is nerve wracking because you don't know what I'm going to ask you. And even though we did have a pre-chat a few weeks ago, I have got a tendency. I might not ask you any of those questions. <laughs> I just We just make it up. We just make it up. But it would be helpful. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about you just like what do you do and what business do you currently run? Sure thing. So Joshua Sprigg, I've been in healthcare recruitment now for eight years. Um, I started my business just over five years ago. So we supply temporary staff to the NHS under national clinical frameworks uh, with the with the primary specialty being nursing. Okay. We connected on social media, we connected on LinkedIn and you have been posted, you'd post, I don't know what time I saw it, but you post like, I'm putting myself out there, I'm going to do it. And you've had an amazing, amazing response. Yeah. So, I mean, for years, I've always been a self-confident person and also quite an introvert. And I think 
one one of the things that a lot of friends and family were saying was that the voice needed to be spoken out a bit louder for people to hear it to to understand the mission that I'm on. So this year I made a pledge to myself that I would put myself out there publicly a lot more. I would be posting more frequently to share my personal opinions and thoughts on the industry as well as uh, topics close to my heart. So so yeah, I've been consistent with it. The traction has uh, been amazing and it's also saved me uh, a lot of money because I'm not paying a personal brand or content writer. Is it, and do you ever feel nervous producing that content? Good question. So I think some of the opinions I have may be controversial because I do speak the truth and I'm not scared of speaking the truth. I hire quite a lot of graduates and one of the things they always warn me about because if I put a LinkedIn post out and it's directed at a particular topic I'll get a phone call sometimes off them saying listen be careful because there's the cancel culture taking place and then I had to actually ask the other day what cancel culture meant <laughs> so and it meant, yeah I know right so I had to I had to ask and they, and they explained that if you disagree with a public figure the followers will completely disengage with you as an individual online. So what it does is it completely removes your ability to have an opinion now or a presence online. You either follow the mass or, or you have an ability to create your own community and turn it into the mass. But, but to have open debates now is almost non-existent. So yeah, I do sometimes get a little bit conscious or wary of, of what it is that I'm saying, but I'm not for everybody and everybody isn't for me. So that's the way I look at it now. So you said you speak the truth. Is your truth the truth? Um, so, yeah, again, good question. I, yeah, so when I say the truth, I mean, yeah, my personal emotions and feelings to the subject, not persuaded by a public figures. So I think a lot of the times if, say, for example, a person in the spotlight has an opinion and they state it, if I disagree with it, I, I will put in my opinion on it. And I, I'm not saying it's the right opinion, but what I am doing is I'm opening that for conversation to understand their rationale behind it and to also explain mine and to collectively come to a conclusion of what we think's right, because that's how you progress. You don't progress following one opinion. It has to be, you know, a, a conversation to evolve. So when I say truth, yeah, I just mean, you know, what, what I believe at that point in time before I'm persuaded otherwise or come to a, a collective conclusion. So you work in the field of recruitment. It's quite competitive. As I mentioned to you before, we've had a few organisations on in the same field. And whilst they're all different, the thing that they say that is the same, which they think makes them different, is that we're not an agency. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so funny because, yeah, it, it's, it's funny that you say that. So we are traditionally known as an agency, 100%. There's no denying that or hiding from that truth. And, you know, we, we are that, that word, which I think sometimes feels like razor blades to, you know, some taxpayers in particular when it comes up in the press that recruitment is, you know, a cost and a burden. But I think when you actually break it down and you understand particular businesses, especially those that operate under national frameworks, you know, we, we adhere to the NHSI guidelines and we are all about improvement. And 
I, I wouldn't say our USP is that we put ourselves out there as not being an agency and rebranding ourselves as a total workforce solution, which is just a fancy word for medical recruitment or healthcare recruitment. So, yeah, I, I think our difference in our USP is primarily the fact that we are people focused and that we are led by the last person to come into the business, which is an interesting concept that we have here which is up for debate sometimes as well. Yes, yeah, I don't understand. So what we do is we hire graduates straight from university. So one of the things that we found is, because uh, there's so many layers to this business and, and how our sort of approach to the industry works. So we focus on creating careers within our business. We understand that traditional uh, recruitment businesses, traditional agencies operate with the mentality of who's got the most length of service in the industry and what their network is and how we can sort of acquire that into our business where we don't do that. We, we remain as uh, individuals with our own personalities and what we are all here to do is develop the skill sets that we feel are our strongest. So we don't try and, you know, force a particular personality into a role. For example, a good one is as your business scales, you need a legal team to advise you on terms and conditions and contracts, especially when it gets to national framework level. So one of the things that we did is we hired a graduate that had done a uh, law degree. And one of the things that we've done is we've put her through the business from start to finish. And she's evolving with the business as it scales to eventually become our legal representative. And then there are other people in our business. so. For example, we are, and this is where it gets interesting, and I keep it close to my chest, but I know I can't hide everything forever. So one of the things that I focus on is that for individuals in our business that have to deal with the relationships with our nurses on a daily basis, instead of having uh, what I call cheap labor, which is bringing in you know kids to 16 to 22 and just putting them through an intensive sales and that's that word for me. I just don't enjoy it. the sales training course to deal with a nurse and look at a nurse from a monetization strategy. What we're doing is we know that the longevity and the relationship is actually going to be built uh, on, on a real bond. And I, I think, you know, when you look at a lot of businesses that we were previously uh, in as employees and the way that we worked through them is everything's target driven. And it doesn't matter what your personality is or what your strengths are as an individual, they are irrelevant to your position. So we try and focus more in on that. So with our university graduates, one of the things that we're working on at the moment is we're looking to hire anybody that has an interest in counselling, uh, psychology, sociology, anything like that. Because if we put them as relationship managers into our business to deal with the nurses, they're far more equipped to have conversations, to actually support these nurses from a mental health perspective as well. So you end up counselling your nurses as they're progressing in their career with you and your business. And if they have that relationship and that bond and that reassurance to talk to somebody, you've won their loyalty and their trust. And it works both ways. So as a business, we set it up, obviously, to be able to make a difference, but simultaneously make money. There's no denying that. And I think anybody that's going to say that I started this for, you know, for the right reasons, you do not go into recruitment or sales or workforce solutions for only the right reasons. You go in it for two reasons, to make a change and make money or make money 
by, and, and making a change simultaneously. So I think it's, it's a hot topic for me at the moment because it's constantly debated because I think it's, I think people look at agencies as the green eye monsters and it's not. Yeah. So where you said they go in it for two reasons and, but you've said to make money is not a right, by you saying that you're saying to make money is not a right reason. I don't think so, personally. I think if you're going in to support a national healthcare system which is supported and funded by taxpayers, I think you have to be going today, today's day and age, you have to be going in with the right mission. And I think the mission that really needs to be focused on is change. And you're starting to see that in the landscape. You know, when you look at the volume of agencies that are in the United Kingdom, and I live in this world on a daily basis, I know exactly who's in it for the money. And I don't believe they have any right reasons of being in it, apart from the money side of it. So, you know, for me, I think that's a, it's, it's a really interesting question, because we could debate it all day, every day, especially in recruitment. But I think now the right reasons have to be changed 100%. And I think out of change comes your financial monetary reward, not the other way around. So where you said, um, some people may say, I want to recruit a young person and that's cheap labour. You're recruiting graduates. What about those in the middle that they're not graduates anymore? They're highly skilled and they've got experience. So you don't have to, you train them and teach them your culture but they come with a wealth of experience what about those people or they're not yeah 100 percent. so i mean one of the things going back every time i say graduate or university people jump straight to the conclusion that they're they're young and a lot of the people that i've engaged with recently as well are also you know in in, in my age bracket of the 30s and then you know in, in their 40s and you can go to university at any time of your life and you, yeah. and you can do that. So that's that question in regards to sort of the, okay. the age association to university. But with skill sets, 100%. I think, you know, we're, we're in, we're in a, a, a crucial pivotal point at the moment as a business, you know, what I would call the tipping point. And from that now, none of us inside this business have the level of experience that is required for the next phase we are about to walk into interesting yeah 100 percent. and i put my hands up all the time to people you know people look at me for the guidance and spearheading the vision i don't have it i've never gone past a particular level of turnover i've never gone past a particular level of uh, staff management i've never gone past a particular point where it gets to you know national legal requirements all, all those sort of topics require specialists that you cannot train so they are definitely still required in the business but as a mass, it is developing and creating your own with the guidance of specialists. So one of the thoughts that we had in here, which is currently up for debate, is instead of finding the skill sets and the level of experience that we need to get to that next level, why don't we actually bring someone in on an interim position for a 12 to 18 month period to train those that have been dedicated and loyal to the vision from day one? And, and be able to get the guidance from them to evolve them as individuals to become those people. Because you need a teacher. It doesn't matter how skilled you are, how wealthy you are, you know, how driven you are. You, you need someone in front of you at some point in time to be able to pass down that knowledge. There is no hiding from that, I don't think. 
So why is it up for debate? I don't understand. So the key question at the moment is, why don't we hire that level of experience and tie them into the business for the longevity of it? And I have such a loyalty to the people that have been with me for several reasons throughout the roller coaster ride that we've been on, that I have the senior hierarchy covered. And I'm not saying it's, it's closed for opportunity, but I would not want to take that away from them because I think it's a mutual, respectful relationship that we've got. And they've shown me their loyalty and dedication to the mission and the business. And I would like to do the same for them having the ability to do it. So, so for me, I'm arguing that case for the people that are investing into the business. They want to bring in, you know, secured positions for the longevity of it not on an interim basis so it's yeah it's still up for discussion but I think I'll win it I suppose two things I did think we can you tie you can't tie anybody in for the longevity of the business you can't if people want to leave after 18 months they're going to go and I suppose the other thing is that is that not a mindset and is that not restricting your growth adding somebody to the team is going to help you all continue to progress the business whether they come in on an interim basis or whether that you hire them as a permanent like surely you're not taking the opportunity away from somebody by adding a superstar to your team you're making your business better yes I would definitely be making the business better in the short term but I have to I have to accept what the potential consequences are by removing because Essentially, the reason that we've got our business to where we've got it to is because of the determination of the people that that sit alongside me at the moment. But as a team, there isn't every skill set and expertise to, to go that next level, even though they want it. And I know them as individual people, and I've known them for, for several years now. And if I was to bring someone in to take that position who who sits in the same department and has a higher level of experience and skill set, I know that it would be encouraging for the for the initial 12 to 18 months of education that they'll get. But when they've got it and they feel that they now want to drive that level of experience, that next step, how do I counteract that by not giving them the ability now to, to step up to that rank, if that makes sense? You're saying you're going to be hiring advisors, so to come in, teach you, train, and be that men- like a mentor, coach slash mentor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's what we've done with our, our head of sales at the moment. He is going through coaching and uh, we are putting him onto a course. Incredibly driven, incredibly motivated, incredibly loyal to the vision that we've got. So, you know, he, he's a prime example of, of how he's being able to evolve. And I know if I would have had a conversation with him to bring someone in above him, it would have been a very different mentality or thought process that he would have had, you know, to, 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 to the long term, in his opinion, I think. This is interesting. The long term, in his opinion, whose business is it? So it's actually, I mean, it's, it's mine and the shareholders. But again, that's one thing that we are shifting. And it was actually signed off today. We are going to make it a, a people's business. So we are going to very much go into the profit share and the long-term tie-in of the business. How, how big is a business? How many employees have you got? 
so we are 36 staff in total as of today and we've just received 12 credits from the Kickstarter program. Oh, okay, cool. I looked yeah. into that. I looked into that. And where are you all remote working? So yes, we are. So currently we are all remote. Uh, I'm in the office. Um, so the, the premises is, is one that I struggled to leave. It's almost like my safe haven and has been the last year. Yeah, our business was built remote from the get-go. So for us, it was quite an easy transition. We were a small team. Obviously, as you're building a business from the ground up, uh, you tend to start with laptops and internet cafes, and then you slowly start to progress into an office. And it, it's it's been built that way anyhow. So it operates well. It'd be really nice to help the listeners understand a little bit more about Joshua. So I asked um, a guy called Sam Alsop Hall, you should, you, I think you guys would get on, like what is his like burning ambition? What is his drive? Very driven. Talks about being in beast mode. And I, <laughs> so I just, I, from our conversations, I did think like, what is, what is really driving you? Why are you doing this? Why, why recruitment? Sure. So I, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a great question, and I do enjoy talking about this. And I think you saying the, the word beast mode's already got my heart pumping <laughs> rate at 100% continuously. So why recruitment? Recruitment was an accident. I have an addictive personality. There's no hiding from it. Everything I do, I completely obsess about, and I drive it as far as I can, as hard as I can at any point in time with anything that I've ever done. And because of that, I've had to be very particular because I know myself well enough on what I can and can't go near. So, for example, partying, socializing, drinking. That was one thing that I consumed my world in as a teenager into my early 20s. And I was always the life of the party or I was always trying to keep it going as long as it could. And it got to a point where I thought I need to divert my attention to something productive or I am going to completely lose grip of an opportunity that is right in front of me. So I dedicated my time to working. So when, when I went into to working, I moved to the UK in 2009 and I went straight into London. I went straight into... So where did you move from? So Spain is a very mixed bag of nationalities that, that I come from. So my mother's Australian, my father's British. They were raised in South Africa. They moved to Spain in their early 20s. They had three children. I was one of them. I was born and raised there until I was 19. And I've, I've got Dutch grandparents. And it gets, yeah, it gets even more complicated. They're military families. So one was born in Calcutta as well. So it's just there's uh, on my mother's side, there isn't a single line going back seven that have been born in the same country yet. So it's generations, it's a mixed bag. Um, but yeah, so moved moved to London 2009, started labouring. I wanted to be able to earn money. I wanted the nice things in life. You get caught in this trap of social media and what things, you know, matter the most. And at the time, it's watches and cars and clubs and you know all that sort of stuff you get caught in that that trap and uh, I, I started to uh, labor as much as I could and I started to want to better myself so that's when I started to get the real buzz for a career or wanting to self-educate and progress so 
I then went into an apprenticeship for mechanical engineering, became an advanced mechanical engineer. Uh, I did a four-year degree in three years. I came out of that. And then what I wanted to do was go into recruitment because I'd actually heard that being an engineer, you could earn good money, but placing engineers across the country, you could earn a lot more. So, yeah, so I did I did the engineering uh, simultaneously whilst laboring. I was being placed by a recruitment company at the time, and I had a great relationship with the consultant. So I then went to the office to go drop some bits off. And I said, look, can I come in and could I see meet your boss and see if I could get a job? They said, look, you've got no experience in it. And I said, well, I do, because I actually know the job inside out of who you're placing better than the people placing me. They still rejected me. I knocked on the company next door to get experience because they were a recruitment company and they happened to be medical recruitment. So I did my training there. Whilst I did my training, I found a passion, which was at the time very sales orientated and focused. It was a very big business, 300 staff, and there was just an incredible buzz about it all. And I built up some very good relationships with the nurses that I dealt with. And from that, I just started to see where, the, where, where I personally thought the gaps were in that business's ability to evolve people because it was very restricted at the time. You couldn't really get from one promotion to another without someone leaving. And the culture was heavily driven by sales targets, all that stuff. So I broke a few records. I did relatively well. And then I set off to do my own. And this is where my journey gets interesting in, in, in my personal opinion, because my mindset has shifted so drastically from where I begun to where I am today. And that's that's in a in an almost six year period. So when I first began my journey, I was heavily focused on the financial gains from it. And that was my main focus. Then what happened to me is I went through a couple of years of what I would call trauma to a certain degree. And that's where I'd I'd almost lost my son who was only three years old at the time. He spent nine years in, in the intensive care unit and he was on life support, induced coma. He was resuscitated several sorry, times. Nine years or nine months? Uh, so, sorry. So he was there for nine days. Sorry. Nine days. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, he was there for, he was three years old and he was in there for nine uh, days in total. And it was at that point in time that my mindset shifted on the value of what I was actually doing as an individual in business, because it was a hard realization of being inside the hospital, surrounded by consultants and nurses, saving your son's life. And then you see multiple uniforms and multiple badges and you realize I'm placing these people in this hospital as well. And my connection and my bond to what it was that I was doing then became a part of me, massively became a part of me because I owed the NHS at that point, everything. And for me to then make a change was more important than it was about making sure that I could grow the business. And by focusing my attention on the care of our nurses and facilitating the best service to our uh, NHS clients, the business naturally started to progress at a much faster rate. And from that, what then happened was the individuals that I had hired throughout the journey to help bring on 
the sort of the next phases and this is my reluctancy as well to bring in individuals you know with with higher expertise is that i got stung very badly and there was a lot of bullying going on internally and it suppressed individuals within the business and changed the culture dramatically and it did it so much so that i didn't want to be in the business and it was mine and and that for me was really hard so when the departure of these individuals happened the next part of our journey evolved and that was a primary focus as well as externally on our employees such as the nurses and, and the relationships with the clients but now it also became very much about my people and you know it becoming a tribe and protecting them and ensuring that their personalities flourished and that their desires as individuals became a reality and then all of a sudden we we upped the ante again and the business grew again to its next stage so we learn everything from harsh lessons and being in environments that we weren't comfortable with so that that's the journey up until today and we're constantly evolving you know we we're, we're still moving forwards and we're at that next phase now it's exciting okay and i think yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense now kind of when i think back to the beginning of this interview kind of you sharing that your approach and why you're doing the what, things you're doing and bringing in advisors and things like that so that that makes sense you mentioned you had a little boy and you're a single dad and one of the things that's really important to me and i ask all guests how do they do it how do they juggle running a business and their life and i think we had a really good conversation some of the assumptions people assume or yeah some of the assumptions people um, apply to you when they know that you're a single dad so i thought it'd be really helpful because i just don't think as many many men aren't asked about their family life it's always to the women it's like the olden days so i really want to change that so hope you don't mind us talking about that on the podcast so could you share your family setup uh yeah i am a single dad uh i'm i'm 30 years old i was relatively young in today's world uh when i had my son harrison so i i was 22 years old he's turning 8 in june I think it's a great topic because it is still very traditional I guess in 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 the the crossover of generations that's taking place at the moment to still be discussing these topics and I think when you hear the term single dad people presume he never sees his children or his child that's the first presumption that that I get you know do you ever see him of course I see him I see him all the time but that's the first question you know <laughs> I shouldn't laugh but I yeah that w- that wouldn't be my first if somebody said to me that they were a single dad my first thought wouldn't be do you see <laughs> do you see your child yeah okay. but it would surprise you yeah it, bl- it blows you away and then yeah and then and then I think you know the the way that we've built a relationship and I think it's it's so key is that I grew up in an environment in Spain where you work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and then you have la siesta in between. So what it means is you don't see your parents. If they're working, you don't see them because by the time you finish school and you get home, your parents are at work and your parents don't come home until you go to sleep. I was fortunate enough to be able to grow up with my with my mum. Um she is unbelievable. 
the way that she brought us up and the dedication that she had to us as children and, and how she wanted to teach us about life was unbelievable. And I think because of that, it's given me the ability to focus in on Harrison with the, with the same level of attention. And I think the key for me, what I've noticed is attention and involvement. So what I mean by that is I know that running a business simultaneously as well as having a son becomes relatively hard because you're essentially managing two completely different relationships at the same level of intensity. And what I ended up doing was I ended up mixing both of my worlds together because I don't look as my business as my job. I look at it as my sport, my hobby, my love, my passion. And so is my son. My son is my passion, my love, you know, everything else in between. So I think by combining the two together and interacting both worlds, it, it, it becomes quite an interesting relationship. So going back to, to obviously growing up in Spain, I never had a bond or a relationship with my dad where when I became of a certain age in my early 20s and I started to spend time with my dad, we never really knew each other and we didn't know what to talk about and we didn't know how to be. So we've built a relationship and, and my dad and I now are very close, but we still don't talk about anything personal. Everything that we talk about is business and work and, you know, future economy changes, things like that. There's no personal bond. I don't, I don't skate, surf, swim, you know, dance, like all that stuff with him. So, so with Harrison, one of the main things that I focused in on was actually being present, very present with him, even if it meant I had to work. And he's got a very good understanding of that now. So when you look at relationships sometimes of, of you know, parents with their children and you see it on, on social media and you see, because I love surfing, so I grew up surfing. So when I, when I look at those sort of relationships and you see a dad on the beach with his son and they're surfing together on the same surfboard it breaks my heart right so i thought i can't do that because i live in the most landlocked place in the united <laughs> kingdom right so so what can i do with him um i can teach him about what it is that i do and i can teach him about the change that i'm making and i can ask for his opinion because i think even of the age of eight he's still very young but also very aware of what is going on online now with the world. And by seeing that, they develop their own opinions and they've got their own view on the world, even at that age now. So it for me, it's really interesting telling him about nurses' stories, nurses' journeys, internal employees' journeys and stories, and getting his spin on it and what he thinks that I should do. And we do the same sort of conversations in reverse. And I think it works really well that way. So, so, so yeah, so I've mixed both worlds together to answer the question in short. And it, it, it's, it's nice. It's a good bond. Cool. So one thing I wanted to ask you, and I know I messaged, about this, I messaged you about this, is that you advertise for some co-founders online. And I just thought that was really like, I just thought that was really interesting because my, my, the, assumption I'm making when multiple people go into business together is uh, they've either met each other at work, they've been lifelong friends, they're neighbours, it was a serendipitous meeting and then they said, you know what, I'm really good at A, you're really good at B, let's do it together. 
And I just found it really interesting that you're looking for co-founders. Have you found them? And what was the response? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I, it's always been a very isolated journey because I didn't grow up in this country. I didn't have school friends. I didn't have neighbors. I've always moved around. So I never had solidified bonds or relationships with people. And I've always felt that I've been a very intense person with thought and, and vision and drive. And I think unless you're vocal about it, you don't meet people that are like-minded. And part of the you know original question of being vocal online, that was one of the leaps that I had to take is that mm-hmm. I don't want to be trapped in my own mind. And I don't want to be dealing with these questions and debates about how to strategically plan the future of this business independently. And one thing that I will put my hands up to is that I'm incredibly driven and I'm incredibly passionate about what I do. And I've got that addictive personality to dedicate 100% of my time, no matter what. So from that, there's one thing missing, and that is the other side of the fence. And that is being inside or involved in the hospitals and knowing how that internal structure works, as well as the external aspect of it, which is what I do. So when I look at the businesses that have high growth and significant change, and, and, you know, there's a few that you've interviewed as well, they all have a common ground. And that is they are professionals within the industry of the business that they are leading. I am not. I am a mechanical engineer who's decided to go into this and evolved from it. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I haven't ran a hospital before. So for me, that was one of the key questions. And it was more so to be able to find someone that's got the same mindset, that is ethically after the same mission as well, and wants to create change on not just a national level, but an international level. And the response that I got when I put it out was crazy. And that is because people see a business of this size being an SME, you know, it's already proven its market. It's now on its second framework rounds. It's, you know, it's got a good brand that's growing. So people all of a sudden go, I'll do it. And you go, okay, so what do you do now? And then they tell you and you think, God, I I get it, but there's no correlation to it. And do you know anything about the industry? So there was a lot of filtering through conversations. And I have found some very interesting people that, are after the same mission and vision and they don't know how to articulate it in an entrepreneurial format. So so I think it's going to go very well together and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Yeah. And I'm not precious about this business and the ownership of it, which I think makes it a lot easier for me because it's, it's more about the overall goals that we have as a business. Are you going to date first before you get married? Uh, am I going to date before I marry? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Did you like? Do you need to have a? Do you feel like you need to have a long courtship with these potential people before you say, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah, hundred percent. I've always said I'm, I'm going through that phase at the moment because obviously a lot of the the changes happening in this business that I'm publicly putting out are the are the digitalizations of a lot of the processes and business models that we have internally. So I'm, I'm actually going through that courtship at the moment with a CTO and, and, and a CFO. So the, the main questions that 
I've asked is, you know, what is your commitment and length of time to this vision? Because if it is highly dependent on equity or finance, then you're at the wrong place. So if you believe in the mission, it's it's second thought, isn't it? So definitely relationship building. We need to understand whether we can actually live with each other seven days a week, seven nights a week with bouncing ideas and thoughts. And I want to see how heated those debates get and what the results are immediately after. Because it's, yeah, it's definitely a good question. Have you attracted any female interest in those positions? Oh, I, okay, okay. I love that question. Do you know? Uh, it's so. She said something, and I just thought, "You want a man? You've just described a man." <laughs> I I can be very dedicated, but I'm not working f- seven days a week, twenty four hours a day, with you having your bouncing ideas off me. I'm not. Uh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. Okay, I love that, and it actually reminds me of a riddle that I heard, which I, I'll tell you about another time. So. Yes. So when when we actually look at the business structure at the moment, we are 60 percent female, 40 percent male in this business already. So that's the way the business is structured. When it gets to the advisory level and the executive level, it is male dominated at the moment. And for me, it is a frustration because it's such a delicate subject because sometimes it can be misconstrued or misinterpreted a, a, a how it's meant to, to be said. But I do think women's approach to problems generally seems are, are to better. be are, <laughs> seems to be better. One hundred percent. I think the ability to be able to operate uh, at high capacity and under stress is handled a lot better. And I know that's a very generalist opinion and I'm not, you know, I, I, I know there are there are men that have, you know, skill sets and abilities that are stronger in particular areas that women have as well. And, you know, there's a huge, huge mix. But, but generally speaking, I think there has to be a very fair split of mindsets being feminine and masculine or, or, or female and male on the board because it, it, it's vital to the growth of the business as well. And I really personally don't like looking at business plans, pitch decks or anything like that and seeing male, 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 male all the way through. So, so yeah, to answer your question 100%, the co-founders that I've been speaking to are all women. Interesting. Yep. And it's a conversation that we had yesterday as well. Well, I will get back in my box. <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. And I was raised by women. So, I mean, it's, you know, I've got all my cousins are, are, are females, my sisters, obviously females, and then obviously my mother and my grandma. So I was always raised by women. Oh, John, I'm really conscious of the time, but I could just yeah, keep asking yeah, yeah, you yeah. questions. Um, I, know, I, I, I love talking to you as well. Yeah, do you know what? We'll have, do you know, we'll do like part two. <laughs> yeah. Last question. Sure. If a listener was only to take one thing away from this conversation about what it takes to run a business, what would you want that thing to be? Wow, okay. I think it's definitely got to be vision you have to be whatever it is that you want to do no matter what it is in any industry any field any career even if you don't know it it has to be vision you have to be able to see the change that you're going to make uh, or you have to be able to see 
the future path of it, if that makes any sense at all. But it's definitely vision because vision's your first part, isn't it? I think starting a business, becoming an entrepreneur isn't about formulating a business plan short term. It, it's it's about long term. Yeah. God, that is a tricky question, though, because there's just okay. like there's so many like one worded answers, I think. But yeah, I think determination, vision and uh, and total commitment to your cause. If people want to connect with you online, where can they find you? So LinkedIn, Joshua Sprig, which is G, And I'm actually just starting to build up my Instagram, which is joshua.sprig. It's a, it's a pathetic attempt, <laughs> uh, but it will get better. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the new newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.